We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. So let's do part seven, is that all right? Very quickly, we have looked at the distractions of frivolities, yes? Distractions of realities, of necessities, of priorities, and last week of liberties, right? And, and our anchor scripture has been Hebrews 12, looking onto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus. He's the one in our field of view. Yeah, he's the one we see and he's the lenses through which we see everything that we see. And of course, you'll agree that this year has been very practical, right? It's very practical, very everyday, applicable in life as we proceed. Now, in our quest to constantly keep our eyes on him, because as we know in this house, you are what you see, right? You behold, you become what you behold, what you see, you become. And so it's crucial what you see. It's crucial how you see, all right? And in, in that, in that, yeah, down there, bring it up as high as it can come, yeah, and tie it in. In that quest, there's distractions that come up to becloud our sight of Christ. So it's important that we identify those and we're able to wage the good warfare. I've said over and over that when, when you see scripture saying that we wage war, we are not fighting principalities and powers as per demons and witch, witches and wizards. Yeah, that scripture wasn't talking about witches and wizards. It was talking about arguments and philosophies of men that we cast down. Every argument, every imagination, and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of Christ. It was a doctrine-based warfare. Do you understand? Bringing every thought to obedience to the, subject to the obedience of Christ. And then having a readiness to punish every disobedience when your obedience it's complete, 2 Corinthians 10. So it is a doctrine-based warfare, not, when you say spiritual warfare, it's not you fighting demons. Do you understand? Because demons have been perpetually defeated. We don't fight demons. Demons are beneath us. Do you understand? It is embarrassing. It is, it is a thing of shame for a believer to say you stayed up at night to pray to fight witches. It's beneath you to be fighting witches. When you are sat with Christ in God, far above principalities and powers. Just tell them who is boss. They're not fighting witches. They can't do nothing to us. Uh, show them Col Colossians 2. How God, Christ made an open show of them on the cross. Disarmed them of every weapon they could possibly use to hurt us. Oh, in chapter 1, he translated us from their kingdom to the kingdom of the son of his love. Now, if I left one kingdom and went to another kingdom, nothing you do from this kingdom can hurt me. Talk to me now, because I've been translated from one kingdom to another. So I have no business with the kingdom from which I have been translated. Make sense? Now, if you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love, where can this kingdom get the arms to get to you and this kingdom? And we are ambassadors 
of the ministry of reconciliation. We are, we are here, but we are not from here. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are on the earth, but we are not from the earth. So where we are now on the earth is heaven on earth. So I operate by heaven's standards on the earth. Earth cannot arrest me. Earth cannot kill me. Earth cannot harm me. Earth cannot deport me. Earth cannot flatten me because I'm just in earth, but I'm of heaven. That's what translation means. That's what translation means. So he has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun of his love. They ain't got nothing on you. So our warfare is not a warfare against demons. So tonight we're looking at very briefly the destruction of opinion. What is an opinion? Viewpoint, yes. Person stands on a thing. Any more? Perception, take, viewpoint, stance. Well, opinion is a person's opinion on something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get it? Yeah. <laughs> Let me simplify it a little bit more. An opinion is whatever you think about any subject matter. Whatever you think about a subject matter. Everything else is just English. Do you understand? Your inclination, your perception, your, you know, your proclivities, your persuasions, your viewpoint, your perceptive, your, you know, book boy. It's all English. What you think about something, about anything, is your opinion. And straight away, that suggests that no opinion is binding. Yes, sir. Straight away. Because it's just what a person thinks yes, on something. No opinion is binding. Having said that, though, it's also sad and, and very, 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 very um, um, weighty to, to notice or to realize that as much as an opinion is personal, yeah, individualistic, non-binding, hence the phrase, you are entitled to your opinion. In spite of or despite these understandings, the average human being is still very, very much bound to the opinion of another. Where the average human being is still heavily influenced by what somebody else thinks. So you look at yourself in the mirror after having made up and you, you, you look nice, but you're not convinced how nice you look until you solicit the opinion of another. Most times, the other person is not wearing makeup. And in more crucial instances, have no idea what makeup is about. But there's something about human validation that can only thrive off somebody else saying, you look nice. And the moment the person says, ehm, it plants a seed of doubt. And you begin to distrust what was otherwise good. Because the average human being thrives off opinion. Which also lets us know the very, very bad state of things. 
if an opinion is, is individualistic, it's not binding, it's just what you think about a matter, and what you think about a matter does not change the matter. What you think about the matter does not change the matter. Yet, we subject ourselves to what somebody else thinks or what somebody else says. So whether we like it or not, in one, one, at one point or the other, we are all either victim or prey of someone else's opinion. Either to discard it totally and then become a loose cannon or to accept it hook, line, and sinker and lose sense of who you are and more crucially, whose you are. Man, opinion is fleeting. People will always have something they think about everything. Some of them are very nasty. Just like a lot of our theology as Africans are informed by African traditional religion. Yes. That's why a pastor is preaching and a pastor will be quoting the proverbs of his village. You can't do that. You can't mix it. You can't be saying how people say when you're preaching the gospel. The gospel is not, doesn't defer to these, the sayings of your people. Because just, it's just their opinion. It's what they think about a matter. An opinion, what you think about it, does not determine what it is. Of course, in this era of political correctness, people are determined to foist their opinion on, on others. So the fact that somebody says, I don't think you look good, doesn't make you look less good than you looked. On the contrary, if you went out and somebody says, oh, you look good, your natural conscious response is thank you, but your real response is, I know, shoot, I spent time doing this. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know I look good today. I know I look good. It's not pride. It's knowledge. Because pride cre creeps in when you, are, you have been given an accolade you don't deserve or do not know that you are worth. You've been given an accolade that you don't know you deserve or you don't know your worth. You can actually live your life without anybody's opinion. Successfully. Now, I'm not saying discard every single opinion, but I'm saying it's your prerogative what to take and what to discard. Life does not owe you opinions. If you bring that home and look at it in the light of what we're dealing with, look at Matthew 7. Anybody getting anything so far? Matthew 7, verse 12. Oh, what you're doing is nice, but I just think that um, if you had done it like this, I know the most opinionated people don't do much about what they have the strongest opinions on. Matthew 7. Are we there? 12 to 14. Let me read um, for sake of both time and, and the recording. The distraction of opinions. What will people say? Here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what people, what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. First 12. Out of God's law and prophecy, this is what you get. 13, 14. Don't, this is the message, right? 
Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. That's lovely, isn't it? Nice and pretty self-explanatory. That is the rendition of enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So the chances are very high that if it is popular, it is not God. Very high. Very high. Very high. If it is very popular, it's not God. If everybody accepts it without fighting it, it's not the truth. It's not the truth. So really, opinion doesn't matter when it comes to grasping truth. Truth is truth. It's measured by itself. Not by what you think of it. Do you understand? It's constant. Don't fall for that stuff even though crowds of people do. Oh, how can you be coming and be saying this kind of thing? And you say, but scripture says, I know what the Bible says. Like that comedian that says, leave the Bible is working for me. Leave your Bible. And that's one of the silliest excuses of doctrinal error. It's working for you. Demons are casted out in the name of Jesus by Antichrist. Do you understand? In quote, the name of Jesus works for Antichrist people. Jesus said in that day they will come and say, in your name we cast out demons. In whose name? Jesus' name. So people tell, demons tell demons to quit in Jesus' name. And the demons answer, not to the name, but to the hierarchy of the person using it. I'll talk about this another day. Do you understand? There's, 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 there's hierarchy. If a major demon tells a private or recruit demon, go in the name of Jesus, the recruit will go not because the name of Jesus was used, but because it's his boss that told him to go. Do you understand? That was what the Roman centurion understood when he says, I said to one, go. He goes, you know, and one said to me, go. I go. One said to me, come. I come. I might be a sergeant, but I have a major over me. I may be a major, but I have a general over me. Jesus understood that when he said, if you cast a demon out and you don't feel it, it's space, he goes and brings back seven demons, how? More powerful than it. They know themselves. They know themselves. So it's working. It's not good enough. If everybody approves it, there's a problem with it. I have a problem with going the direction that everybody else is going. It makes me doubt whether I'm on the right path. Because broad is that road. And many press into it. Narrow is the one that leads to life and few find it. 
Few find it. And most times because of opinion, what people say, there's doubt. Scripture is clear on a matter, but Geo said it's not correct. So you begin to become panicky about it. You're not sure about it. Somebody says, stay with us. We will take you to heaven. We will, t- we will make sure you get to heaven. If you stay with us, righteousness, holiness, and clean living or pure living. There are three things he quoted. If you stay with us in this place, we will make sure we take you to heaven. But there is only one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Did you see it in your Bible? There's only one. That is scripture. And then there is opinion. Are you following me? That is scripture. And then there is opinion. Stay with us. We will we guarantee you. If you sign up in this family, this denomination, we will get you to heaven. So this is the express bus to, to heaven. Once you are in this bus and do what we tell you to do, how we tell you to do it, we will get you to heaven. There is what the truth says, and there is opinion. So again, in broad daylight, there is truth and there is opinion. Stay with me, this will change your life. There's truth and there's opinion. What are men saying? It's clear. So it now behoves you to determine who you are seeing, how you are seeing, and at what expense. You are seeing. That's what Paul meant when he says we see Jesus. Because mm. there's a lot we could see otherwise. Yes. Well, some of us are not without options. Yeah. We just got to the point like my sister Christy King sang. Where she said it's either you or you. It's either you Christ. Or you. Paul says, I mean, there was so much mess up in the Corinthian church. And Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. I, I refuse to see anything else. I refuse. A man is sleeping with his father's concubine. I refuse to see it. And that, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm tolerating it. I just do not see it outside Christ. And because I see Christ through his lens, I can tell you, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the living God in whom he also dwells? He has to see the Christ factor to be able to bring that home to your weakness. He didn't magnify weakness. He magnified Christ in the midst of the weakness and used that magnification to correct the weakness. There's truth. There's opinion. We see Christ. You're getting drunk on Holy Communion. We see Christ. So another time we told him, but you have not so learned Christ. Christ was the focus. Not what people think. Because people will always have something they think. Always. Cover yourself from head to toe. You are a nun. Wear spaghetti stripes. You are a pastor. 
Why are you wearing? <laughs> Wear blanket, you are a drag. Wear linen. What is wrong with you? You are too young. You are looking younger than your age. Dress up. You are too old. You are looking like your mother. Calm down. Ah, ah, natural hair. Do you know how expensive it is to keep natural hair? Ah, Yusuf, you are wearing artificial hair. What do you want me to do? <laughs> so you find yourself vacillating. Oscillating between opinions. Should I? Should I not? Should I? Should I not? Should I? K-leg problem. Knock knee problem. Straight leg problem. Big hips problem. No hips problem. Plenty beard problem. No beard. You are looking like a small boy. (laughs) Who knows what I'm talking about? So you're constantly torn between what people think. And you can very quickly lose sight of he who we're called to follow and be like. My spiritual father told me something very long ago I will never forget. I probably heard that thing more than a thousand times through his mouth. Man's opinion is not God's conclusion about you. Son, man's opinion is not God's conclusion about you. It doesn't matter. What people think. Truth is not subject to opinion. Truth is only subject to truth. Because it is absolute. Doesn't matter what people think. So we preach Christ. Paul was called a heretic. Paul was summoned to Jerusalem to explain himself to people that were with Jesus. Mm, Yes, yes. Paul was not with Jesus, sir. (laughs) He came later. So the people that knew Jesus, in quote, summoned him who only heard of Jesus. How dare you preach what you're preaching? And even when he convinced them that it was the move, they said, well, preach your own to the Gentiles. Let's be preaching our own to the Jews. They introduced us a word, two Gospels. That's why they were giving permission to the, to the Gentiles. James was telling them, but still make sure you don't eat what is given to idols. Why are you still giving law when you are ad- admitting that the error of the law is gone? Why were you still giving them four, four commandments? You remove 623. Introduce four. The law of James. He was such a scary figure. That's why when men came to where they were from James. Peter got afraid and stopped eating with the Gentiles. And Paul had to rebuke him to his face. So they called Paul to come and school him. And we know, we, you, you, are, you are a young man. I've been in ministry longer than you have been born. I can teach you some things about ministry. I don't want to know anything except Christ and him crucified. The fact that you've been doing something for 40 years doesn't mean you know what truth is. Doesn't. Because if, if it's opinion, my God, they have an opinion that is heavily laced with experience. Yes, yes, yes. And that's the deadly one. 
the opinion that is undergirded with experience, tested and trusted. That's it has worked. That's worked. And at that point, somebody's experienced opinion becomes subjective truth that you must take at all costs. Otherwise, you're the one that's lost. You're the one that's lost. How dare you speak against a general of the faith? A father of the faith. When the guy stood up drunk in the spirit in Acts chapter 2 and says, These are the days that were prophesied by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour my spirit upon who? Upon all flesh. So there's truth. There's opinion. There's truth and there's opinion. And we must keep our eyes on truth. Regardless of opinion. His spirit is upon all flesh. All flesh. Not some. And he poured out that spirit, Jesus says, without measure. So anyone can see God, anyone can hear God. Anyone. Everyone who believes. Everyone can. Everyone. You know, you cannot, you, 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 can, you have to... So, Samuel said, somebody, I keep hearing my name being called. You called me. And I said, no, I didn't call you. And the third time, he said, oh, I, 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 I know who's calling you. Next time he calls you, come and call me. Let me interpret to you what he's saying. Next time he calls you, pray, pray in the spirit for one hour. And they come and tell me as your papa what the voice sounded like. I will interpret it for you. Next time he calls, say, speak, Lord, for your servant ears. At that point, Eli's ministry in Samuel's life was done. And Eli knew it. (laughs) That moment, Eli's ministry was fulfilled. The moment he helped his protege identify the voice of his real master. Not the one in the temple he was serving. He was just an under-shepherd for the real shepherd. So the moment Eli brought Samuel into the cognizance of his real master's voice, Eli's was done. The rest of it becomes Samuel's narrative. His work with God. I think it, you know, I think, you know, no, there's truth. Luke 6, 26. Is anybody getting this? Luke 6, 26. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And in verse 26 of Luke 6, I'll go from 24 just for context. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Again, that's context. We'll not deal with that today. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. 
Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Did you see that in your Bible? Woe to you when all men speak well of you. If everybody likes you, you are a woe. Whoa, 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 it's you. <laughs> it is impossible for everybody to like you. Free yourself. As a path, I am convinced I am not called to everybody. I am teaching the word. It does you somehow. Please get up and go. Thank you for coming. You did very well to sit under my teaching for five minutes. I applaud you. Many people don't last that long. Praise God for your life. Oh, that path, I went there that Monday, that Tuesday. They were teaching some heretical things. Heretical because it does not conform to popular opinion. In John chapter 6, from that day onwards, Jesus, Jesus, many of his disciples turned back and followed him no more. Jesus, John chapter 6. Jesus, oh, almighty God, <laughs> everlasting Father. From verse, uh, for context, for context, from context, from 60, John 4, 60. Please, if you have a Bible, open it. If you have a phone, punch it in. See for yourself. John 4, 60. Therefore, many New King James, many of his disciples, when they heard this, John 6, John 6, 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But then there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked to him no more. Many of Jesus's, not followers, not, not mixed multitude. The message says, after this, a lot of his disciples left. So it was a noticeable decamping. Hmm. Mass exodus of disciples. Um, the, the NLC says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and said, you are still here. <laughs> and he said, Where, to whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. They chose truth over opinion. Few, twelve, 
chose truth. Many chose opinion and left. Jesus was saying, I am bread of life. Your fa- that's, the, that's the premise of John 6. Your fathers gave you manna. They ate and died. The manna that was being talked about is me. I existed before your fathers. Eat me and you will never die. You, Nazareth, you, Mary and Joseph, <laughs> you, 33 years old, a bit. They're telling us before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say I was. Before Abraham was, I, I am before Abraham was. Your father Abraham longed to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Little wonder they were always picking up stones to want to stone Jesus. Little wonder. And they left. They followed the crowd. So if we're teaching, and at that point what you're teaching is more juicy than what you're attacking, there's a problem. There's a brand of, I read a, I read a, a paper that a, a PhD thesis that somebody wrote on prophetism and the Trado African churches with emphasis on the Akwai bomb and Cross River circuit. It blew my mind. How the spin-off from the apostolic church brought in the wave of prophetic churches. And how in certain areas now, in this 21st century, if you don't list whatever you are teaching with prophetism and the resultant assignments, it's not powerful. Nobody's going to pay attention to you. And he blew my mind. He did his PhD thesis on it. And so it doesn't matter what we tell you. What matters most is what somebody thinks. There's a pot. Pots have suffered though. <laughs> so we tell you that he disarmed principalities and powers. It is in your Bible. It is truth. Yes. Yeah. But you know, you don't want truth. You want opinion. What somebody said, because they showed you a pot. And so we discard truth and make truth the intangible. We go for what people say they saw. There's truth. And there's opinion. This is helping anybody. I have, I have a couple more scriptures here. Galatians 1.10. Galatians chapter 1. Let's go from verse 6. I'll read in the more modern translation. Galatians 1, from verse 6, 
NLT, New Living Translation. Galatians 1, 6. I am shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And look up for a second. I don't want to be distracted, as it were, or sidetracked by this, but it might help somebody to note that every time Paul spoke about those that were twisting Christ, he never spoke about it in terms of balancing grace with works. He always spoke about it in the light of people trying to dilute grace with works. So the, the gospel of grace has never been threatened by your mess. Ever. Each time now, people talk about balance. They are telling you, add some works to grace. And those of us that preach grace through faith, not of yourselves, a gift of God. We are the ones called heretics. We are the ones twisting the gospel because we are preaching grace without works. But every time Paul spoke of those who attacked the gospel... He spoke about it in the context of those who always wanted to attach works to the gospel. Isn't it interesting how the thing has twisted? So back in the day, the bad guys were those who were trying to get you to do some work in grace. Now the bad guys are those who are trying to make you see that it's grace without works. But scripture is clear on those who twist the gospel. Because anything that reduces from the uttermost saving nature of the gospel is false. Anything. Anything. And that was what Paul always had an issue with. Do you understand? Let me, let me skip to chapter 3 of Galatians. Just wait to see the argument. Like I said, this might help somebody. Chapter 3, verse 1, I'll stick to NLT. This is a sidetraction. I hope it helps someone. Are we there? Yeah. Galatians 3, 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Is it in your Bible? Of course not. You received the spirit because you believed the message you heard about who? Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Works. Four, have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? Verse five, I ask again, Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Six, in the same way, Abraham, I add in parenthesis, in contrast to the law, believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Seven, the real children, therefore, of Abraham are those who put their faith in God and not in the law. 
So what was the perversion of Christ in the Galatian time? Trying to add works, add law to grace through faith. That is the perversion of the gospel. Not preaching to you that you are saved by grace through faith without works. That is the gospel. There is truth. There's opinion. Is this clear enough? Back to verse 10 of chapter 1. So, so you understand the context, yeah? Galatians 1.10. Obviously, I am not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I will not be Christ's servant. Very, very clear in black and white. Are they still here? <laughs> you can see that I'm not trying to please you by sweet talk and flattery, the living Bible. No, I am trying to please God. If I were still trying to please men, I could not be Christ's servant. First Thessalonians 2, 1 to 4. That'll probably be my last scripture. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. You yourselves know, can I read? I'm, I'm still in the living Bible. How worthwhile that visit was. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet God gave us the courage to boldly repeat the same message to you, even though we were surrounded by enemies. So you can see, verse 3, so you can see that we were not preaching with any false motives or evil purposes in mind. We were perfectly straightforward and sincere. For we speak as messengers from God, trusted by him to tell the truth, verse 4. We change his message, not one bit, to suit the taste of those who hear it. For we serve God alone, who examines our heart's deepest thoughts. Never for once did we try to wait, win you with flattery, as you very well know. And God knows we were not just pretending to be your friends so that you will give us money. I'm reading the Bible, you know that, right? Straight up. Straight up. Let's make it worse. Let's look at it in the message. Yeah? Let's make it worse. From verse 1, Pastor Sonians 2. So, friends, it's obvious that our visit to you was no waste of time. We had just been given rough treatment in Philippi, as you know, but that didn't slow us down. We were sure of ourselves in God and went right ahead and said our peace, presenting God's message to you, defiant of the opposition. Three, God tested us thoroughly to make sure we were qualified to be trusted with this message. Be assured that when we speak to you, we are not after crowd approval, only God approval. Since we have been put through the battery of tests, you are guaranteed that both we and the message are free from error, mixed motives or hidden agendas. We never used words to butter you up. No one knows that better than you. And God knows we never used words as a smoke screen to take advantage of you. There's truth. There's opinion. Romans 3, I believe in chapter 4, says, let God be true. And every man be a liar. This is the argument, this is the warfare we fight in 2 Corinthians 10. These are the arguments we cast down. 
I, I, I didn't lie oh, when I said that was going to be my last scripture, but can we see 2 Corinthians? <laughs> chapter, chapter, is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's not my fault. 2 Corinthians 10, 1. 3. Let's skip for time. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is one of our strongest spiritual warfare scriptures in the Bible. When you want to fight demons, you go, hey! The Bible says the weapon of our warfare are not carnal. Almighty true God, T-R-U. <laughs> Today. <laughs> Today, pulling down our strongholds. Let us find out what that spiritual warfare is. And it's as simple as flipping to a few other translations. Let's start with the message. 2 Corinthians 10. From verse 1. And now a personal but most urgent matter I write in the gentle but firm spirit of Christ. I hear that I'm being pointed as cringing and wishy-washy when I'm with you, but harsh and demanding when at a safe distance writing letters. Please don't force me to take a hard line when I'm present with you. Don't think that I hesitate a single minute to stand up to those who say I'm an unprincipled opportunist. Then they'll have to eat their words. The world is unprincipled. Verse 3. It's dog eat dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entirely massive corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. NLT. There's truth and there's opinion. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Is is anybody getting clarity? Verse 1. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with gentleness and kindness of Christ. Though I realize you think I'm timid in person, I'm bold only when I write from afar. I'm begging you now so that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who think we act from human motives. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. After you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. That scripture has never been about warfare against demons and and, 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 and witches and principalities. Never. Never. There's truth and there's opinion. Let God be true. Let every man be a liar. If we just bother to read. No believer is called to fight devils. None. Go and check. Oh, believer is called to fight. Me, demon. Father, I asleep tonight. I declare this place. Any demon that's going to fly over here, you're going to freeze. You're going to, you no know, fly zone. No parking. No moving. You're a baby. Yeah. 
a baby. No. We are above that. Say, I am above that. I'm above that. You can't touch me. You can't. You can't touch me. I am all right, remember? I'm all right. You can't, you can't touch me. This is never a, a, a scripture about fighting demons and witches and wizards. It's about people that are trying to distort the truth among the Corinthian church because they take advantage of Paul's absence. He's only writing strong letter because he's not around. When he's here and I cannot talk. So Paul says, don't make me be strong when I come. Having said that, when I come, I will not fight you physically. Those of you who are trying to distort the truth, I won't fight you physically because the way I fight is not carnal. So, so I will not come and slap you. So you're the one that's insulting me. You're the one that's trying to chance the truth. He says, no, we don't fight like that. But the way we fight is spiritual. And that way we can tear down those philosophies spiritually. We can engage those who are trying to pervert the truth of the gospel. And everything that is trying to obstruct you from seeing Christ, when I come, we'll take it out. Basically, wait for me. I'm coming, but I'm not coming with a knife and a bazooka. I'm coming with stealth mode weapons. To take down philosophies and arguments. Casting down every imagination. Think about it. And everything that exalts itself above the knowledge of Christ. Demons cannot be said to exalt themselves above the knowledge of Christ because they know he's Lord and they tremble. The devils know and they tremble. They ask them, they say, Paul, we know. Jesus, we know. They couldn't be above the knowledge of Christ. They know the knowledge of Christ. Do you understand? They say, we know Jesus. The guy at Lake Gennesaret with legions of devils. As soon as Jesus showed up, they go, master. What, what, what have we to do with you? What have you to do with us? You know, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you're the boss. Just don't send us out into a, the, the, the abyss. You know, we need bodies to operate by. So send us into the pigs. And Jesus was like, yeah, go. Why did they start to cry and beg? Because boss man showed up. Yes. They had knowledge of Christ. They, they, they have never been exalted above. The, they have never been exalted above the knowledge of Christ. The only thing that tries to do that is the antichrist spirit that fights the gospel. The antichrist spirit that fights the gospel is what tries to go above the knowledge of Christ. And that way, we engage, we tear them down, we speak not with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but with the demonstration of the Holy Ghost and power. So then the gospel begins to make sense to you. And then the distractions begin to fade away. You spend all night praying against Satan. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus, which ones did he leave out, Cassie? So you two can cut your own teeth by fighting your own demons. You two can get maturity, gumption, by fighting and winning and also saying, Jesus conquered 98 demons. Me, I conquered 300 because greater things than this shall I do because he went to the Father. 
I said to you over and over, over and over, over and over, it cannot be said to be a finished work. I told you last week, if we are still fighting demons, Jesus owes it to me personally to go and undo that tetelestai, he said. He didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. How dare Jesus say it is finished on the cross when I still have some to fight? How dare him? How dare him try to deceive me? How dare him? How dare him say that the last time it is finished, complete, perfect, nothing remaining to be added. And with that, he gave up the ghost. And Hebrews says, by one sacrifice forever. Perfected those who have been sanctified. You now come and tell me I have to fight to earn what Jesus did? Then Jesus should come back and undo that statement. He didn't mean it. He lied. But then we know that he's not a man that he should lie. Or the son of man that he should change his mind. He cannot lie. He cannot lie. Opinion does not hold it bound. He cannot lie. There's truth. There's opinion. We refuse tonight to be distracted by what people say, Jesus. We refuse to be held back by what they think about you. We break free from subjectivity. We break free from opinions. We break free from perceptions. We break free from tradition. We break free from philosophy. We break free from the cultures of men. We break free in this place. We see Jesus. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.